Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. I will tell you right now, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up the message a little bit for you. We're going to read it. And then every single one of you are going to have this mindset right when I finish reading it. You're going to think, what's pastor going to do with this? Like, literally, it's going to end, and some of you are going to be like, huh. It will literally end like this. Bring me my enemies and slaughter them in my presence. The passage will end, and you're going to all be like, what the crap is pastor going to do with this? So sit with me in that, okay? Because I believe, can you say crap on stage? I just did. Um, I, I believe that the Lord is going to use this, but this is a really difficult passage to preach on. Um, and you've probably never heard this telling of this parable. Uh, it is very similar to another parable that we, we like to shed light on a lot more because it has a very easy interpretation. This one is a little difficult, a little, a little harder, and I have never taught on this before. Um, so I, I'm excited. We're all doing this together, okay? We're in this together today, but I will let you know we're in a, se- a series called Consider Jesus. If you have not been with us at all, you are okay. We're just talking about Jesus Every week has been different, Uh, every moment different. We're opening up scripture and diving into it. So this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19, okay? I will open up in a minute on that, and we'll dive into it, but I need to give you some prep, okay? Uh, I love, I'm a little bit of a nerd when it comes to history, when it comes to church history. Those of you who are church history nerds, you're going to dive into this with me today, and you're going to love it. You're going to eat it up. Others of you are going to be like, what did I just sit through in some of that? Um, But one thing that I love is next Sunday is Palm Sunday. Then we have Holy Week and then Easter. If you've never been a part of a church that has celebrated uh, the church calendar of Holy Week and dove into what Jesus was doing moment, day by day, I encourage you to be a part of it. Allow yourself to sit with Jesus as he walks to the cross. That's almost literally what we're doing today. Uh, Because right before Jesus would have this triumphant entry into Jerusalem, if you know the story, great. If you don't, come next week, because we're diving into that, uh, where the whole city would be yelling, Hosanna, the same people who would soon yell, crucify him, right? They were yelling, Hosanna. Right before he does that, he's speaking in Jericho and lays this really heavy parable to the point where uh, the scripture will end saying that Jesus went ahead of the crowd into Jerusalem. And at the beginning of this, Jesus was surrounded by the crowd. And now instantly, no one wants to walk with them anymore after this. Like, what, what happens is Jesus leaves a lot of people behind in Jericho as he walks into Jerusalem. And that's heavy. So I'm just going to prepare you for that. What just happened, if you were with us last week, uh, Jesus surrounded by a crowd, walks up to the wee little lad, right, uh, little tiny Zacchaeus, right, you've heard the, if you've ever grew up in school, in in Sunday school classes, like, little Zacchaeus, there's a fun little uh, song, I'm not going to sing it, Um, but it's there, so this just happens, and if you remember from last week, when Jesus says, Zacchaeus, hurry down, I'm eating with you, the crowds hated him, like, Jesus is going to eat with a sinner? Now pause. 
Because something happens. Because instantly, this story picks up right after Zacchaeus, and the crowds are already back with him. So they just had a, a like a, anyone ever know the people who love you and they hate you, then they love you, then they hate you, then they love you, then they hate you. And it, it feel like that with anyone? Maybe you have some family members. It's like, what side of Brenda am I going to get today? Is she going to love me? Is she going to hate me? Uh, that's what the crowds are, are like. In fact, what happens we got to put this in the perspective. These are Jewish men and women in Jericho, and the Passover is about to happen. So multitudes of people, a mass amount of people, are all headed one way to Jerusalem. They just experienced Jesus eating with a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector, and he changed his whole life. Let me just put this in perspective for you. This is the chief tax collector over all of Jericho, under the Roman rule, just said goodbye to Rome, essentially. What that looks like is a very political move on all of Jericho. And they're now thinking Jesus is walking into Jerusalem ready for the revolt. He's already doing this. The chief tax collector of our city has changed, has turned. We are ready. What they think is about to happen is this mighty king walking into Jerusalem and the empire of Rome being thrown. That is what's happening. To the point where Jericho, like all of the citizens, like it, it is now spread, the news, like this guy is not only, he's not only healed a blind man in our city, but he's also changed Zacchaeus, the man that defrauded all of us. And now Zacchaeus is back with us. Rome is defeated, and now he's going to Jerusalem. Like all of these prophecies since the time of the Maccabees were seeming to come to fruition right now, and they're like, we're ready. Okay, this, there's a reason why this parable is right here. Because these are a whole lot of people who think they know Jesus, who are about to be caught off guard by Jesus. And I'm just going to challenge you as we read this. You have some experiences from your past that assume already who the character and nature of God is, how or how he will not interact with you, and that will, it will hurt. It will bring turmoil into your experience and, and surrender to him today. Some of you couldn't even say, I surrender and mean it, because you're like, what would that mean? What would that look like? I was abused as a child. I don't surrender to anyone, let alone God. You know, and all of these experiences really fuel us and how we look and think and treat God. So this is interesting. Uh, Zacchaeus' conversion was a, a seemingly this direct attack on Rome and the Herodians, and now Jesus is speaking. Okay, we're going to open up into it. It's going to read, I'm not going to pause, we're going to read all of it, and then we're going to dive into it, okay? And I'm telling you, some of you are going to be like, how is he going to teach this? All right, I don't know, okay? We're going to, we're going to do it together. Chapter 19 of Luke, starting at verse 11, as they heard these things, what things? That he has come to seek and save the lost, that Zacchaeus as a child of Abraham is now redeemed back in as they saw Zacchaeus change. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed, they assumed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. 
ouch. He says to them, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then to return. Verse 13, calling 10 of his servants before he left, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a, delegate, a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. So when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants, the 10 that he gave the minas to, uh, to whom he had given the money to, to be called back to him that he might know what they have gained by doing business. Verse 16, the first came before him and said, Lord, your mina has made 10 mina more. <laughs> 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. Verse 18, the second one came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Verse 20, then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I have kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you do not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Verse 23, why then did you not put the money in a bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10. And they said to him, but Lord, he has 10 minas. Jesus says this, I tell you that everyone who has more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And then like I told you, verse 27, but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. And then he says, peace out, I'm going to Jerusalem. And then he walks. And it literally, if you keep going, it says he walks before the crowd. Like he just walks out before them, meaning not many of them decided to come with him. Now, the interesting thing is some of you have probably been like, no, you're, you're, you're second-guessing yourself because you're like, I know this parable, but I thought it was different. I thought it had different pieces. In fact, like if I could just separate for you, many of you have heard the parable of the talents, right? This is not the parable of the talents. In fact, already, if I can challenge you, some of you are like already knowing the interpretation that we're going to dive in because you know the parable of the talents. Can you just sit that aside and wait for that? That's not the interpretation of this. In fact, Jesus said this is not the talents. He used the word minas. And if you know the story, it will be told when he is in Jerusalem, but only when he is with his disciples. So there's two different parables. This one spoken to a crowd of Jericho. The parable of the talents spoken to his brothers, disciples. There's two things, if I could separate these two a little bit more. 
Later in Matthew 25, you will hear the, the parable of the talents says this. There was a master who was going away on a journey. Not a king or a nobleman getting kingship. A master going on a journey. So he travel, he, he gathers up his servants and he gives them talents. Now, neat thing about a talent is one talent equals 60 minas. Okay, can we just put that in perspective? When the disciples would hear this later, they would be like, that's a buttload of money. 10 talents, 600 minas. You've changed it. Like it was every of the 10 get one, and now there's, there's one that gets 600 minas. This is astounding. The point of that is very different than the point of this. Not only that, but the, the beauty of this is this servant comes back, he buries it in the ground. This servant hides it in a handkerchief. Okay, we're going to dive into this because this is really good. In that, the whole point is the guy thought he only had one. He thought less of himself because he had one talent where others had 10, 5, 3, whatever. He has one. He keeps it safe. This purpose is what the Lord has deposited in you, the talents, what the Lord has deposited in you is of great value. So use it, okay? Not what we're talking about here, okay? This is Amina. This is different. This is a nobleman going on a trip to get the right to be a supreme king. And he gives all of his servants, 10 of them, the same thing. Now, I will tell you, they were going frantic, and we have to look at the reason why. Jesus told the disciples this story later, because he's going away, and he needs them to know that they are going to be okay. He's telling the crowds this, because they think that the kingdom's coming soon, and their assumptions are going to destroy their interaction with Jesus. And sometimes I'll just say your assumptions of what God can do or isn't doing or what he will do because of your past, what you think he's going to, your assumptions will destroy your experience with Jesus. Because Jesus is, is, he's a gentleman. He's not going to, uh, he's not going to be anything sometimes other than what you assume him to be, which is not the right thing. <laughs> he's not going to overcompensate for your, your, your wrong beliefs. Now, if you give them to him, he will overcome them, and he will show you who he is. But this is powerful. So it was given because they were frantically wondering, and I will tell you right now that they were oppressed. If you know anything about the people of God, they were oppressed by Rome. Um, they were oppressed by taxes. The Chosen does a really good job at showing you. If you've ever seen The Chosen, it does a really good job of showing how belittled the people of God were. Jews were made fun of. They, they were made fun of for what they wore. They had to wear tunics that were not colorful. Like in Rome, all of the, the Herodians, that they, everyone was beautiful and, and flashy colors. And then there's the Jews. And they, they were constantly made fun of, belittled, uh, and taxed. Poor, poverty, wrecked the people of God. They were oppressed. But we know this, right? Um, there's the oppression of Rome, and then there's the oppression of sin. And Jesus thinks oppression of sin is a greater deal than the oppression of Rome. Okay? 
Some of you have your oppression of your past, the trauma that you've experienced, the things that occur, all the hiccups at work, all the things that are distracting, your addictions even, the things of your, like, the nightmares that you still have, the bad memories, all the trauma. You weigh like this, and the oppression of this, you really have a lot of assumptions as to what God should be doing with this. But Jesus said, I care about sin, and it's been defeated. And so we'll get into this a lot, but just here's some principles. Uh, Our experiences, just to let you know, they will always help fuel our expectations. Hands down, what you've experienced will fuel, it will fan the flame for what you expect, whether you mean to or not. Uh, we do this in marriage counseling. If you've been in premarital counseling with me, it's a lot of fun. Uh, we talk about like family of origin. What you experience as a child without even meaning to is what you will expect. You don't even know it, but it's what you expect. That's, that's, good, that's good things and bad things. But another thing, our expectations, they impact our effectiveness. Now, those two principles, you will see in this, and I really need you to understand this. Like our experiences, they can be good things, but also sadly, like undealt with oppression, it can yell quite a bit louder than your faith the size of a mustard seed. Where faith the size of the mustard seed could say mountain, move, and it would move. But your undealt with insecurities scream a little bit louder than your faith the size of a mustard seed. Do, we, do you feel this with me? Are you with me? Because your experiences, if they have not been redeemed by Jesus, if he's not met you in each of them, which is the long work of sanctification, then it will hurt what you expect, what you believe. So yeah, you have the faith to say mountain move, but you have a lot of expectations that when you say it, it's not going to move. That in and of itself will make it not move. Does that make sense? Were you tracking with me? And then, sadly, your, ex- your expectations hurt your effectiveness, hurt what you produce, where Paul says, and I'm going to tell you this, you're going to hear this a lot. Paul says, your suffering in Christ, some of you are like, why do bad things happen? Why was I abused as a child? Why did I lose my baby? Why did this happen? Why, why did I lose my job? Why did my parents get divorced? Why, 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 why? We want to know, why is suffering there? The beautiful thing about Christ is when we sow seeds of suffering into faith, what happens is it actually produces something more than just suffering. Sadly, in the world, suffering just produces more suffering. Anyone know that? Like, brokenness just yields more brokenness, and then you just get a whole lot of brokenness, and if you put two broken people together, they just break things together. You, you feel that? Because suffering people just suffer, but only in the light of Christ can suffering produce. Paul says this, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. I say all of this um, because when you're overwhelmed, when you are oppressed, when you allow your experiences to fuel your expectations, you're a lot like the Jews and you don't even realize it. 
your um, suffering out of faith begins to produce um, some bad character, bitterness, rivalry, anger, pride. You begin to demand things of people, of God. All of these things, character does get produced from ill suffering, and it just makes you suffer more. Anyone ever feel that way? You're like, why do I keep getting angry? Like, well, I'm just hurting myself, and I don't know how to not hurt myself. You're sowing into your suffering. But then where suffering in Christ produces hope at the end, suffering to suffer, to suffer, to suffer, it produces despair. And the people of God are hanging over the line of despair right now to the point where this Messiah, they're so wishy-washy that they will say, Hosanna, and then they will say, crucify him. Why? Because they're hanging over this line of despair, and despair is about to lead them to murder. And I just got to, when we don't deal with our undealt with things, we will begin to hover over that line of despair. And that area of our life, we have a little expectation for Jesus to move in. A lot of assumptions of what he should do, but little hope. And so Jesus brings the people of Jericho into this parable. And I'm about to read it again, but I need to tell you something that you don't know, I didn't know, about this parable. Jesus is like a boss. Can we just like, he knows what he's doing. He is the master at using every situation to the fullest of its potential. So something you don't know that I didn't know until diving into history is that Jericho was a, not just a hot city, people loved it, but Herod loved it. And this will make sense. King Herod built one of his best and most prized palaces in Jericho. And those of you who maybe know who Herod is, I promise this has a point. Um, those of you who maybe know who Herod is, Herod is the evil king when Jesus was born, the evil king who said, I'm going to make it out to kill every firstborn child who is boy because he didn't want the Messiah to come from the Jews. You get all this? Herod believed, and the spirit of the Antichrist really was with Herod, fun, and boys all over, all over, died. Now, shortly after that, Herod dies and his son, and I've got to read it so I don't mess it up. Okay, his son, which probably none of you know the name of this. I can't even find his name. He will be there. Archelaus. Archelaus. All right? Archelaus. Archelaus. You with me? You've never heard of Archelaus, have you? His son, who when Herod died, Jesus was a baby still, about four years old. Archelaus came into power and reign and reigned. Now, this man, this is, this is what history says. At one time, he was even more ruthless than his father, and at the Passover feast in 4 BC, okay, he had 3,000 Jews massacred just to teach them a lesson. Uh, obviously, he was not liked, but regardless of that, uh, he was hated. He would later kill in three consecutive years the great high priest just to show that the Jews were idiots. Like this man was evil, Herod's son. And uh, the cool thing about Jericho is his home 
he took over Herod's great palace and put up palm trees surrounding the palace as sort of like a fortress to separate him from the Jews. Okay, this man's, this, do you want to know the history though? One day he decided, I'm going to go to Caesar and I'm going to go to Caesar to ask if I could have supreme kingship over this whole area. Because right now he's a a tetrarch. And so at this time, he leaves Jericho, are you tracking with me? To go to Rome to get kingship over the whole land. And guess what happens too? People who hated him travel with him. Actually try to take a different route to get there quicker. And they tell Caesar, the emperor, all the things we hate him. He's killed us. He's hurt us. Uh, his own brothers were there to, to fight, to, to say, like, this guy, you don't want him king. And so then he shows up, and Caesar makes this decree. You cannot have kingship. You will be demoted. And so guess where he goes back to live? Jericho. And for the next decade, he stayed killing high priests killing Jews until finally it got all the way back up to Caesar. This is still, uh, by the time, I think it was 6 AD. So this is now, Jesus is, is living, is born. Word gets back that this man, this son of Herod the Great, is still unruly. So they dismantle him and cast him out to Gaul. Story ends. This story is a story that's about a story. So, when I read this again, there's a man named Archelaus or whatever, Archelaus or however you would say it in, uh, in, in Rome. Like, I don't know. We're not going to try. There's this man who from Jericho set out to get kingship, who was a hated man, who then others sent word, it cannot happen, and then it didn't happen. Jesus is literally using a story in a story, and so I'm going to read it again. This is what he says, literally two decades later. This would be like me going to New York and having a parable about terrorism, but not terrorism, right? Like, this is, this is, this is awkward. He says this, a nobleman went into a far country. Odds are, it was told in Jericho that no matter where you were in the city, you could look up and see the palm trees, surrounding the palace, still to this day. A nobleman, Jesus says, went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Pause. What happens this far away from the moment it happened is that we pick out what we want to hear and we miss what the people would hear. It's not about the minas at this point. It's about the emotions spurring up in every one of the people who know these stories, whose family members died because of this nobleman. Now they're hearing this Literally all of you, if you were part of Jericho right now, you would ask a few questions. I just wrote them down so I could get with them. Uh, You would ask, um, why is he telling us this? Who is he supposed to be in this story? What am I supposed to feel? 
Why is he bringing this up? Why is he telling this? What is the point? Is he talking about our history? Is he saying that he's the noble? All of this is just really awkward. And what I really love is this is a difficult pill to swallow. Um, Jesus does not come so that we have a perfect life. He comes so that the oppression of sin would be dealt with. And we would still struggle, but we'd struggle with him. And this is interesting little mess. The Jews wanted freedom, but now he's like tangling up. And, and I'll tell you, Jesus allows things to get really personal in stories because he wants to show how entangled you are with the lies so that he can separate those and pull you out of it. So what he's doing in this right now is really interesting. He brings up their trauma. I just want to pause. He brings up their trauma. Uh, I think some of you think that your trauma needs to be dealt with and left in the past. And anytime things remind you of that, you never stop and ask, how is this different? What is Jesus doing? Why is this happening? But Jesus knows he wants you to feel uncomfortable so that you have to actually deal with the identity you formed in that discomfort. The people of God are saying, our enemy is Herod's son, is the whole image of Rome. And what they were missing is their enemy is not flesh and blood. And so they have formed this whole lie based on their trauma, and now Jesus is making really uncomfortable conversations in it. And it's really interesting, though, uh, why Amina? Can I tell you something cool about Amina uh, that also would step feet on them? Amina is, like I told you, it's, it's not a talent. It's much less. But Amina is interesting. It was one of the most unregulated coinage usage. What I mean by that is it was unregulated. It was measured by weight, um, but it was used, many theologians say it is used specifically as a financial technique to allow kings to rule unjustly. In, in other words, it, it was such a weighted thing that it could not be taxed easily. It could not be mixed or tainted or devalued or tracked. And so essentially, a unruly king would play with and trade minas to make his home wealthy and to make the citizens need him. This, this, is, a, this is a nasty unit of measurement. This is something that the tax collectors would have used to get themselves rich so that Rome could get rich and the citizens would need them. Awkward. So when Jesus is saying this noble man, ouch, what are you saying right now, Jesus? Are you, are you siding with Herod the great son? This noble man is going to get a kingship and he hands minas. Every one of them already know these servants are going to defraud people. These servants are going are to just spread. And so they're already tainting what God is saying by their trauma. 
Are you with me? How many times have you already tainted what God is saying to you because of your trauma? I mean it, like, how many times has Jesus said something, but you have already assumed the worst because of your undealt with pain? It happens all the time. Jesus tells this parable because they think the kingdom of God is coming soon. I wonder how many times Jesus tries to tell you something because you keep thinking that he's going to do something. He's like, that's not my character. That is your fear. That's not my character. That is your pain. That's not my character. And so it's interesting, though. The nobleman gives out minas, and he says, do work with this. It's interesting, though. There is a different word for unjust work in the Greek, but did they hear it? Right? Like, how many times have I told you, like, the Lord calls you redeemed and new and holy, yet the enemy speaks that he doesn't know? I, I would, I remember early growing up, uh, or growing our children, like, uh, their babies, I, I realized how real this was. Kate, my wife, does a beautiful job at voicing what we all want to voice, but none of us know how to word it. Any, you know anyone like that? Uh, so she said one time, she really had a hard time having people tell her, you're such a good mom at the, the like, at Aldi. And any mom in the room, and you're, 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 you're stressing, you're like sweating, and you're trying to carry, and they're screaming, and someone says, you're such a good mom. Literally, Kate's like, you don't know me. <laughs> like, you can't speak that to me. You don't know me. How many times has God spoken something, yet you've said, you don't know me, and you've missed it? And you've missed it. And so that's literally what is happening right now. He says they have Mina, and he's telling them to do work with it. Did they hear that? The word work is just like, put this into practice. It's nothing unjust, no devaluing people, no fraud. That, that's, a, that's a different word. This is just work it, work it. And so the story continues. Verse 15, though, when he returned... Having received the kingdom, he ordered his servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him so that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Now, we could have very easily read on past this, but I need to pause at verse 15 because did you notice you never expect the nobleman to not get his kingship. That's because you are an American right here, right now. This is a new part of the story for them. Because their version of the story, the nobleman who wasn't very noble went to go get kingship, came back demoted, angry because he was demoted. Verse 15 instantly throws a curveball. He is, he received it when he returned having receiving the kingdom. And now we, I don't think you even feel like that this is the, a big deal, but it is. Uh, what I love is that Jesus is now allowing this story of theirs for him to f- be fitting into it. And why this is a big deal, uh, 
I met so many people who are not believers who always think, they just assume, this is just, can I give you the mindset of a non-believer? They just assume that your life is amazing because of the quote-unquote joy, and they think your marriages are amazing. They just think that you grew up in a more sheltered home, and some of you are like, no. But just because they see something different, they think everything had to be different. Have you ever met like a non-believer? They just assume already that I've never sinned because I'm a pastor. They, they assume already that my life can't be difficult because if it was, then I would be X, Y, Z like them. And it's interesting though, they genuinely believe that we just decided one day, Jesus makes sense, I want him. But really, it was Jesus stepped into my story He stepped into my story and gave me a different way to view it. Anyone realize that in your life? The gospel is Jesus stepping into our trauma and giving us a different way to view it. That is the beauty of the gospel is he gives us new words. So if I just tell you, when we get into this, your experience will always hurt your expectation. The one thing you must do is say, God, if I'm being, we say this word a lot, triggered. If I'm being triggered, get over yourself, one. If you're being triggered, you have the, the, the authority of the Almighty God to say no. But if you're being triggered, what is Jesus doing in it that rewrites that trauma for you? How is he speaking that the story's a little bit different this time? Because there is something to gain. Does this make sense? Are you with me on this? Because this is a little bit, it's like counseling. We got this. If you are feeling triggered by something, you can't just keep saying that and giving in to your sin. Okay, we, we use that a lot. That's not, no. Jesus is triggering all of them to show them, I'm about to give you a new perspective in this story. Now I'm going to step on some toes a little bit. Have you ever thought, God, why do you keep letting these bad things happen to me? It's like every season, another bad thing. It's like, why, why can't this be done with? Why does it just keep happening? Why is this being brought up? Can you ever pause? And I, you think that I'm like, if you're doing one-on-one counseling with me, and maybe you've, you've, you've frameworked this already, you know what I'm going to say. The question is never the why. Why are you doing this? The question is always, what are you doing in this? The reason that's different is because Jesus is telling them a story of their trauma, but he's speaking how he is different in it. And I think that's like, he is the variable in this new version that is missing in the old ones. So if we're into a counseling session right now and you're stuck in this cycle of it keeps happening, it keeps happening, can you pause and actually ask Jesus, where are you different this time? What are you speaking that's different this time? Because that's why he's allowing it. He allows things that spiral us in so that we can deal with the things that have just been stuck in. Does that make sense? He allows us to be spiraled in so that we can actually deal with the things deep down. Where are you different in this? Well, 
You, don't have, you have a community like never before. Every other time you've battled this, you battled alone. Be different in this so that I can actually heal you. Uh, we can actually bring this up. How is it different? Well, this time someone was good enough to get kingship. Maybe you should lean in and listen to him. Maybe you, you can see he actually had the right to be Lord. It's different. Who is he talking about? Me. Jesus is saying, me. I am the nobleman. I have the right to be Lord. I have it. And, and so he's already allowing our um, trauma to be points. And he does this a lot, like, right? He goes up to the, the invalid at the pool of, of Siloam and he says, do you want to be healed? That's itchy. Like that, that's, that's not fun. Like, of course I do. Why would you bring up that stupid question? Like, why would you, why would you do that? Because he wants you to feel the pain of your trauma. Do you actually want your marriage to be healed? Well, of course, what, he wants that trauma to be brought back in so that you can say, okay, well, what is going to have to be different if Jesus is going to tell the story? The issue is like, he wants all of you. He wants all of you. I think that's the difficult thing is, you can't just ask him what to do when we deal with things. Because then they're ready to, what, what are we going to do against Rome? They're already asking questions that gear toward what they want. He wants a character change. He wants a character change in them. He wants someone to be given Amina and to do something with it. To produce, to be effective with it. And so it, it's very different. So the story keeps continuing because um, he wants them to suffer, but the kingdom's going to be different. I wrote a few things down like uh, you can, can work and things will come on suddenly and it will, it'll happen. But with assurance, like if we keep saying, God, how is this different? Our suffering can actually be effective. And then suffering, like, God, why is this happening? And I, I grow this conversation with him and a closeness with him. I start having endurance. And as I start having endurance, I begin changing my character, right? Like endurance produces character. And then I begin having this assurance, this hope that at the end of this all, like God's got it. Now that doesn't come naturally, but it comes through sitting. God, how are you doing this? Suffer in a way that's productive. Uh, you see me different. Like you see things different. And so uh, the story continues, though, because the king returns and he calls forth the servants. And verse 16, it says, the first servant came before him and said, Lord, your mina made 10 more minas. <laughs> and he said, well, good, well done. You now have authority over 10. The five came, you have authority over five. And then another came and said, Lord, here is your mina back, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief for I was afraid of you. Now, we only see three out of the ten's responses, and I promise this, this will end. We only see three of the ten responses, and if I could just do a little number play, there's seven servants who we never get to see their response to the Mina. Seven is the number of completion, number of wholeness. I truly do believe that Jesus is telling this parable, leaving it open-ended, allowing the seven, the complete others who will get a mina to make their decisions. Does this make sense? 
Uh, so now, what is Amina? What is Amina? It's really interesting. Um, a lot of, anonymously, every single time I read this, every single commentary, every single theologian from like, I mean, Aristotle, like all of them be, believe that Amina in this parable is the good word that Jesus is handing for you to hold of who he is, what he's doing, aka the gospel, and now he says, I'm going to go make it happen. Now, what you are given, what you are given, this is not, this isn't that some people are given it and some people aren't. This is that the complete, the whole world, I will come back when who? When the whole world has heard about me, right? Like that's, I will come back when all have the opportunity with my Mina. So what this means, if we can see the gospel in a Mina term, the gospel is the way that the king would spread his wealth and make the citizens need him. That sounds tainted and twisted until you put it in Jesus' hands, right? Yeah, the gospel is the very thing you gave me that makes me needy of you, right? Now, in a tainted, worldly way, that sounds bad. But when you hear it handed from Jesus, his words are the very thing that spreads his power and makes me dependent on him. And so what you do with that is everything. Ouch. So each and every time that the Lord speaks into your day to try to bring up your trauma and allow you to see things differently, what are you doing with that? His word, which has the ability to Go on beyond. One mina to ten minas. It has the ability to capture and make people dependent. Like in a beautiful way. What are you doing with it? Now, I love this and I hate this. Because the difficult thing is there's the man who had the mina who hid it in a handkerchief. Can you go, go back to that or go to that one? It says, another came and said, here is your mina. I kept... I kept it laid away in a handkerchief. Now, the, English does not do a good job, but the Greek word for that is a burial cloth. It's the cloth used to cover someone's face when they die, and then you put them away. So Jesus is literally saying in this parable, one person heard my word deposited to them, and they hid it away in a death cloth. It, it, was, it stayed dead. It stayed dead and nothing else. It was not valuable to them. They had a, why? He, he says it. They had a poor perspective of Jesus. Literally, you were a severe man and I was afraid. Did they operate with faith or fear? Fear. Did they allow their experience to dictate their expectation? Yes. If you're looking at this, the Greek word of that is really, it says the word no. I knew that you were a severe man. The interesting thing is that's not the word gnosko, which means that so-and-so experienced this noble man being severe. 
This is the word oikos, which means they assume. They have a, a mental understanding that he's severe. Some of you know too much street knowledge. God, I'm, oh. Some of you know too many things about how sin works. You will never submit to Jesus. Because you know too much about how the world works that you keep applying it onto him, and it's going to burden you. You're not going to understand. You must come to him saying, how are you different? Feed me. Like, how are you different? Because he, his yoke is a yoke. You are his servant. He is, I'm a slave. Now, if your understanding of a slave is messed up, then you will never serve Jesus. Right? All of it has, like, we literally, he knew, he had a cognitive understanding that this nobleman was severe. So he hid it and he died. Your experience of what you think, who you think God is, will always hurt your expectation and your effectiveness. Let him surprise you every day. Let him, let him uh, expect him to be present. Let him redefine things. Stop pushing it already. And that's what I mean. Like, I'm not just telling you truths to learn by. This is a savior that you need to be led by, right? Like, it's very different. These are not things that you need to just do so that you have a better life. This is a way. This is a man who you must give your life to or he will come and say, you'll say, Lord, Lord, I prophesied in your name. And he's like, dude, I didn't know you. You thought you knew me, oikos. I didn't know you, gnosko, experience. You never experienced me. And so it ends very sadly. He says, I'm going to condemn you with your own words. You think I'm severe? I'll be severe. I'm going to take that. I'm going to give it to another. Jesus is such a gentleman that he will not overcome your free will to think of him poorly. Like, there's many things that the character of God, it's like theologically wrong to say that God will not do something. Sometimes like that, whenever you hear someone say like God's not going to do something, here's something God will not do. God will not overcome your free will. His nature is to let you decide. And he will not overcome your free will. He's a gentleman. He wants you to love him. And so, if you think he's distant, he'll be distant. Why? Is that because he's distant? No, it's because your heart thinks he's distant, so he's distant. You think he's uninterested in you? Those words will condemn you, and you will never believe he's interested in you. Literally, like, if you think... He has banished you, condemned you, then those words will condemn you, and you'll never believe the opposite. Unless you say, Jesus, I'm going to choose to believe that you are different. You are not like X, Y, Z. You are different. And so by these words, I condemn you. I'm going to take this and give. And the people were like, why would you give it to someone else? Why would you give it to someone else? I tell you right now, it's not about the minas. It's not about the money. If it was, then Jesus would have been like the crooks who come back and say, give me my minas that you invested and made more for me. But really what he does is your character produced more. Here's authority. 
It's all about giving. That's the difference. You want to know why you don't have authority in your home? Ooh. Some, <laughs> you want to know why you don't have authority in your home with your children? You want to know why you don't have authority? It's because you have done very little with the gospel of Christ, and he's not going to give you authority in your home. Some of you are like, why won't my wife submit? Because you don't have the authority. This is the broken world. Huh? But you, we, he is a gentleman who will give you what you expect of him. So my enemies who think I'm severe, slaughter them in my presence. Does he want that? No. But if you, your experience dictates that God is distant, then you'll expect him to be distant. Your effectiveness will put him as, dif- uh, as, as uh, distant so he'll be distant. But we have to say, God, I know you are different, Jesus. So show me, how are you different? Jesus in this place right now, like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to hit a, hit a dead mule. Like, but God, I, I believe fully that you've been allowing, if I can just speak prophetically over you, I fully believe, you ready? God has been allowing some relapses and trauma to come up in this season. And you, you can fall back into the, uh, the responses you always give to it, which will cloud your vision which will make you do a fight or flight, which you know which one you choose. Or you can pause, pray for a clear mind, and ask, Jesus, how are you different in this? This temptation just came up and I just gave in, but how are you different in this? This setback just happened again financially how are you different in this? I just got broken up again after I gave myself uh, like freely to someone again. How are you different in this though? This work week, even though I keep praying for it, they keep attacking me like, but how are you different in this? Because sometimes the master of the word allows reality to bring up past offenses so that we can see him differently. He wants to redeem those stories. He wants to redeem those stories. He wants to change your perception. He wants to change what you define things as. He's not a severe man. He's a good king. You've been given a mina. You can either call it dead or you can bring life to it. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.